Hi, everyone. This is Podcast for Patients with the Aplastic Anemia and MDS International Foundation, and I'm Alice Houck, Senior Director of Health Professional Programs for the Foundation. Our podcast series is brought to you thanks to generous support from patients, families, and caregivers like you, and a grant from Celgene. Thanks, everyone, for supporting this series. Today, we'll be talking about low-risk MDS and supportive care, including blood transfusions and iron overload. Our speaker is Dr. Gustavo Rivero, Assistant Professor at the Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. Welcome, Dr. Rivero. Thank you, and good morning. Good morning. Let's start with a a description of what is low-risk MDS. Okay, so low-risk MDS um, is a condition where um, our hemopoietic stem cells and progenitor, which are the cells that normally replenish our bloodstream with red cells, platelets, and white cells, they fail to survive as they get produced. So there is a set of conditions that might be important to discuss, which is that normally the condition is observed in our elderly population, meaning most of the cases, 95% of the cases are seen in patients aged older than 65. So connected with aging, number one. Secondly, there is a set of mutation, which is a genomic chain in our DNA that might predispose to this condition. And thirdly, most of the patients will present with anemia. It is um, reported that almost 70% of the patients might exhibit anemia at some point during the, um, the, disease, the disease curse. And how, how is low-risk MDS diagnosed? So primarily, once the patient comes to our clinic and they have low hemoglobin or it could be low platelets, low white count, then uh, we normally proceed with a regular lab work, which is a CBC. And then uh, in the big majority of the patients, then we can request a bone marrow examination, which is a sticking the needle in the pelvic bone and then extracting those cells for chromosomic and genetic analysis. Obviously, we look at the morphology of those cells and normally those cells, they will look a little bit odd and then in 10, 14 days, we can have the full genomic uh, analysis of those cells. So. And then uh, what are the treatment options for low-risk MDS once a patient is, is diagnosed with having the low-risk category of MDS? As I mentioned before, 70% of the patients, they might present with low hemoglobin level. Um, a subgroup of patients, which is almost 30% of them, they might present with either low platelet, low white count. In occasion, it could be a combination of low platelets and anemia. So under a standard of therapy, uh, patients should be treated with growth factors. Um, these are some biologic products that normally are produced in our body uh, by the kidney in the case of um, erythropoietin. Um, and then GCSF is normally a hormone that we can administer to patients exogenously. So essentially growth factors. So some group of patients, they might uh, exhibit primary refractoriness to these growth factors. Then they might qualify for some agents, IV medications, 
like hypomethylating agents, epigenetic therapy, among them azosaridine and desiravine. And what is supportive care for low-risk MDS patients? And supportive care will be uh, essentially these growth factors, including erythropoietin, GCSF, and then transfusions. Uh, a significant proportion of patients that will be requiring transfusions, PRBCs, and platelet transfusions. So that is what is defined as best supportive care. And what are the benefits of blood transfusions? And then also, are there any risks to having uh, blood transfusions frequently and over a long period of time? That is an excellent question. Actually, uh, patients who are receiving um, breast cell transfusion, they will have a transient improvement in the hemoglobin level. So it will allow the patient to restore his hemoglobin and obviously how functional they might be on a daily basis. However, as the transfusion are given chronically and given in excess, then the patient might exhibit some complications. Among them, it's important to uh, highlight is iron overload, which is a deposition of iron in vital organs, such as the liver and the heart. And how is iron overload treated if a patient experiences that condition? Importantly uh, is the new development that we have for the disease. As I mentioned before, some mutations might initiate the condition. Among them, uh, recent publication and research have demonstrated that uh, SF3B1 mutations I want to spell it for you again, SF3B, as boy, one, number one, mutations. They might predispose to increased iron absorption. So additionally, if the patient is getting significant amount of PRBC, breast cell transfusion, then the amount of iron that is absorbed and is deposited in our organs is extremely high leading to um, issues with the liver and the heart. In some instances, patients may exhibit congestive heart failure. So, And what drugs, you've mentioned several drugs that are used to treat uh, low-risk MDS patients. Are there any new treatments on the horizon for low-risk MDS? I think it's important to clarify um, that Let's put it in this way. Let's describe first those medications that might increase your hemoglobin level. Second group, it will be those medications that might allow our patients to become transfusion independent. And thirdly, it will be those medications that might allow patients to become obviously less iron overloaded. So let's start with the first group. So the first group is those medications grow factor that might allow the patient to become transfusion independent. Um, obviously, this will be those medications that are approved under standard therapy like growth factor, including erythropoietin, stimulating agents, and GCSF, granulocyte colony uh, growth factor stimulator. Um, then there is also a group of medications that are going to be approved in the next few weeks 
and include those medications that inhibit tumor um, growth factor, TGF, ligands, traps. So these medications are monoclonal antibodies, among them, Luspartacept. This medication allowed for those patients, especially exhibiting SF3B1 mutation, um, to achieve responses, transfusion independency, and increasing hemoglobin in about 78% of the cases. I think this is an extremely important um, discovery in science, and it should be kept in mind that um, most of the patients with low risk MDS, they should have a genomic analysis available at the time of diagnosis, so they might qualify for this new agent, which is um, exhibiting you know, very promising results. So if the patient is refractory to the standard of therapy and TGF ligand traps, then uh, potentially they should receive um, hypomethylating agents, including the cirabine and azosaridine, uh, normally responsive for this patient um, that had exhibited uh, refractoriness to ESA, erythropoiesis stimulating agents, is about 45%. I want to mention that there is a subgroup of patients with low-risk MDS who might be extremely refractory and they might be suitable for allogeneic transplantation. I think that is important to mention as well. Yes, and for uh, those who may be candidates for transplantation, what would be the process with that? Uh, they with their hematologist at time of diagnosis as and as you uh, discuss treatment options with them, is it important for them to be aware of that possibility to begin looking for a potential donor just in case it's needed down the road? Yes. Um, so basically, um, as a physician treating MDS cases, so we have some ability to predict who will be the patient that might respond to a standard therapy say um, there are some factors that we normally take in consideration at the time that the patient is being diagnosed, including what is the EPO, erythropoiesis hormone, whether or not this hormone is extremely high at the time of diagnosis. Then we factor as well the magnitude of transfusion dependency that the patient might have. And then we can make some prediction how the patient is going to respond to this exogenous administration of the hormone. Then potentially those patients who have a very low odds possibility to respond to this drug will be the patient that might be suitable for allogeneic transplantation. I think it's extremely important to uh, identify, select that type of patient so we can that procedure can be offered to them. So it's a possibility and it will induce cure in most of the patients that are undergoing the procedure. So that is the situation. And uh, finally, I, of course, the, you mentioned the new treatments that are on the horizon for low-risk MDS. And are there others currently in clinical trial that might be another option for low-risk MDS patients? Excellent question. So in addition to uh, Lupartacept, which is going to be approved in the next few weeks um, or months, so we have uh, a number of me uh, compounds that are being tested in clinical trials, including a hypoxia-inducible factor inhibitor. Um, so there are some 
little trials that are out there, including vitamin C replenishment in patients who might have a TEC2 mutation, they are sounding extremely interesting. So we have a combination of azacitidine plus TIN3 uh, monoclonal antibody. So there is a series of um, clinical trials that are available for our patients. And as always, we encourage our patients to ask their physicians about the different treatment options. If there's something discussed today that they were not aware of, they should certainly ask their physician, and including the information about clinical trials and new treatments. Uh, do you have anything to add? Absolutely. What would you add uh, as uh, just overall advice for low-risk MDS patients as far as their, their, their current care and uh, even if they're in a watch-and-wait stage? What would you advise them? Mm -hmm. So I think we are, um, you know, these days we're dealing with very well-educated patients. Um, so I would highly advise our patients to um, request their physician that not only cytogenetics, meaning analysis of the chromosome, but the patient should have a full genomic, and this is basically called next-generation sequencing analysis for very specific mutations that might be actionable, mutations that can be targeted with medications like Luparticept. I described already that uh, in the case of those patients exhibiting a mutation for S SF3B1, then responses to the medication will be 78%. I would highly encourage our patients to... Um, you know, encourage their physician to have a better understanding of the disease, whether or not they are going to be able to respond to a standard therapy, including erythropoiesis stimulating agents, whether or not the patient might be a suitable candidate for allotransplantation in the event that they don't respond to a standard therapy. I think that will be um, uh, my best recommendation for them. Thank you so much, Dr. Rivero, for sharing your time and expertise with us today. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. You can find out more about You're bone marrow failure disease on our website at www.aamds.org and by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or of course by giving us a call at 800-747-2820. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you very much for the invitation.